We're continuing our study on biblical counseling. And I want to thank you for your patience last week as I began to unpack this idea of what it means to understand our identity in Christ. I began realizing that as I, while I was speaking and in the conversations afterward that I needed to do a much better job. So we're going to try round two this morning. And I think some of the confusion was as I started with advocating for identity in Christ, and then it seemed as if I was advocating against it. And so what I want to say very clearly this morning is that I am for identifying in Christ and finding our identity in Christ, but I am against the way that the world goes about doing that, goes about finding um, how we should do that. So I'm hoping your memory is as short as mine is, and we get to restart. But I would also say that I think this doctrine is so this ident- this doctrine of identity in Christ is so important because at the core of it it gets to our doctrine of man or our view of man and oh that God would give us all a much more robust biblical view of man because we are prone to think way more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And if we are going to give one another help in the context of biblical counseling or encouraging one another and applying God's Word to their daily life, we really need to help them get a bigger view of God and a much smaller view of themselves. So that's what I hope we would do this morning. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this story of Samuel, of your sovereignty that is declared in it of the example of Hannah and the praise that came forth as she saw afresh the glory of her God and the blessing of her God upon her life, pouring out the blessing of a child and we stand, Father, amazed in your presence this morning at Jesus the Nazarene. You giving to us the Son. And may our hearts be overflowing with praise this morning. Lord, I pray for this message. I pray that we would grasp the concept of it. Help me, Lord, to say it in a clear way and a biblical way. And pray that we would understand it very well. We thank you, Lord, for your word that it is true, that it gives us all that we need to understand these things. And we thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who promises to be our help. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> As believers, we, we are this morning before the Creator God, who is a perfectly holy all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, all-wise God who does everything according to His divine purpose in order that above everything and through everything and in everything, He would be glorified. But He's not just a creator, He's a jealous God for His creation, for the praise of His creation, so much so that for those that refuse to bow the knee to God, 
His anger, which Galatians 2 tells us is being held back by His kindness as we speak, will be unleashed in such a full and complete righteous justice over the sin of mankind that eternity, think about this, eternity won't be long enough to complete the just punishment for sin. He created all things by the word of His power. We just saw that in the life of Samuel. God spoke and this sun came. He created the sun and the moon and the stars, the animals, the plants, the oceans, the sea creatures, the tiniest bird, to the thundering herd of elephants, to the smallest molecule in our body, to the great planets of the heavens. And all of this He created by His spoken word and all of it is in perfect harmony and all of it is held together by His Son, Jesus Christ. And all of it is created for the same singular purpose, namely to give Him glory upon glory upon glory, as He alone is worthy. But then you have this Creator God who is not only jealous for His creation, He is holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And His holiness allows nothing imperfect in His presence. His holiness demands that only perfection be in His throne room and by His nature even His great love and amazing grace, which is so great and so amazing, cannot overcome that holiness. To allow even the smallest of imperfections to be in His presence. If I have a, the, the tiniest atom of cancer within my body, I'm a sick person. The tiniest imperfection before the throne of God cannot be allowed as it contaminates the throne room. And yet He created every one of us in His image. And He created us not as something worthy of praise, but in order that He, that he as the Creator be praised in ways that the stars or the moon or the animals or the trees can never elicit or produce creating us in His image because His glory must be seen. And by the fact that we're His image bearers, we can, by our very nature, even as sinners, declare and display His power and creativity and only a way that we as His image bearers can, can display. So as a son or a daughter can most accurately reflect the characteristics and resemblance of their parents, so we in creation, as His image bearers, can reflect the attributes and nature of our Creator better than anything else, because we bear His image. <clears throat> but then sin entered the world. We, as His image bearers, the pinnacle of His creation, in our blind pride said, Nope, my way's better. Our forefather Adam choosing the pleasures of sin for such a fleeting moment over an eternally intimate relationship with God, his Father. And every one of us since then have responded according to the family heritage. As soon as we're able, we seek to demonstrate to the world the rebellious and idolatrous and prideful and foolish and self-worshipping attributes of our now fallen nature and we try to do that in as many ways as possible and really as early as possible declaring again to the world no our way is better God you don't have it right our way is better Adam got it right his way was better it's a lie but it's natural and we naturally reject God. 
and we naturally hate God, and we naturally with blind arrogance declare ourselves to be most worthy of worship, and we naturally declare our best efforts to be good enough, in our sin we naturally display to the world the lost deadness of a soul. I thought of this morning as we're driving in, all the roadkill on Texas this morning, all the roadkill on Texas this morning, has more of a right and probably even a more of an ability to declare themselves to be, I'm okay, than we do in our sin. We naturally deserve the wrath of God for eternity upon eternity, but we naturally assume that we're good enough to escape His righteous judgment. We're naturally under the eternal wrath of the Father, waiting to be unleashed in unquenchable and unrelenting fury upon our sinful body and soul, but naturally and falsely believing that a God of love can't also be a God of justice. We're naturally enslaved to sin, we're naturally blind, we're naturally dead, and we're naturally like that roadkill. We're stinky and we're dead and unable to move a muscle in healing our wounds, and yet we naturally think we can. But God... When the fullness of time had come, while I was still weak, dead in my sin, God sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, born under the law, to die on the cross for me and for you, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for all of us, and that while we were still sinners, sinners alienated from Him, enemies of God, Christ, who knew no sin, was made to be sin, that by dying for us we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, we have now been justified by His perfect blood. We have been saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while, we, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, and not only reconciliation, adoption as sons. And because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Amen? Amen? But even then, with all of that, we rejected it. We refused it. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, and it made no sense to us. Give up all my sin and the pleasures of it for suffering? No. A free gift? There's nothing free in this world. I won't take it. And yet God, as the head of the table at the great banquet in Luke 14, desiring that the banquet hall be full to the brim, sought me as a stranger, as we sang this morning, wandering from the throne of grace, and he compelled me to come. And he set upon me the garment of righteousness that I did not have. And he healed up the wounds that I would have marred that garment. And he took my sin-stained record as a prisoner of sin. And he set me free by exchanging it for his perfect record. God's holiness and righteousness, his perfection and greatness, meeting his perfect love and goodness in the display of the cross of Christ. Displayed in drawing sinners to himself that were his enemies, unable to come and against his grace, and so he did the one thing needed. 
He touched everyone, uh, everyone's eyes that are here that knows the Lord. And He touched every ear in here that, does, that knows the Lord. And he, he spoke into existence life. The same way He spoke into existence the sun and moon. He looked at me and He said, You won't come because you're an enemy. And yet I'm going to do what you desperately need. And I'm going to say, Be open. And behold your God. And you will have your ears and your eyes opened. And they were opened. And for the first time, we could behold the majesty and beauty of God. By grace I was saved through faith. And the grace and the faith were not mine, but a gift from God in order that my boasting might be in Him alone and not my worth or works. And when that grace flooded our souls... As light drives out the darkness in a room, the first thing we heard him say with ears now open was, Come unto me, all that are heavy laden. And as a son races across the house when he hears his father's voice, we ran to him, not out of compulsion, but out of love that was now intrinsic and natural. The great exchange had taken place. We are now new creatures in Christ. Behold, all things have become new. The old has passed away. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. If we're to rightly understand our identity in Christ and how to help others in the biblical sense, then it's imperative this morning that we had to start there with reminding ourselves of God in ourselves and the work of God and the work of Christ on the cross for us. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Verse 16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I'm in, verse, I'm in chapter 6. I'll come to 5.17 in a second. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Verse 17 of Second Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Galatians two nineteen through 20. I would... Mark that next to that passage there in 2 Corinthians 5.17. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. I searched this morning in my Bible program for in Christ, the, the two words in Christ as they're found, and you find 87 matches, at least that's the Bible, the Bible program I did, spit out 87 matches, matches between Acts and 1 Peter 5, and if you want a good study, I would suggest that's a great place to start. Go look at those 87 verses of what it means to be in Christ. And this subject of identity, what we're talking about is our identity is found in those two verses, in Christ. Or those two words, in Christ. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, meaning that our worth and our value and our significance and our meaning is found in the work and the worth 
of God's perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And our new nature now is to take on that likeness. So I have four children, and as they grow up, they're going to be taking on the attributes and the characteristics of things I teach them, and more importantly, probably that which I display. And now that we're in Christ, we're, that's, our, that's our nature now, is to become like Him. Our identity, as my son's identity, is a carnet because I'm his father. My identity is now in Christ. All believers are in Christ, so we're becoming more like him. As Christians, God looks upon me and he sees Christ. As we grow and mature in Christ, the world around us will begin seeing traits and attributes and characteristics of something much bigger and more glorious and really otherworldly, which is Christ in us. And this is, you see this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Why? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, be kind to one another and be tenderhearted and do these things. Why? Because that's now your new nature, in Christ. Forgive one another because Christ forgave you. So our identity as Christians are, is found in Christ, and that's what we should look like and how we should think and how we should act and how we should speak. All of that is found in Christ. All of our significance is found in Him alone. And it's never in ourselves. It's never in our worth. It's never in our perfection. And perfection in its fullest sense is something that the human mind cannot comprehend. I remember one of the first classes I had officially as a homeschooler in college walking into my physics professors which was from Uganda and you could barely understand a word he said but he loved physics and because he loved physics some of his students loved physics and I remember him saying okay we've got three tests and a final if you get a hundred on all three tests you don't have to take the final as a homeschooler what are we thinking yes right all in and I remember sitting there in the first test, looking at my grade, going, no, I got a 90. But unless you have twins in homeschooling, you never grade on the curve. And I found that out. You grade on the curve out there. And I went from 90 to 100. In the next test, I went from 100 to 110. And I remember walking in, my dad saying, how do you get a 110? I don't know. That's what he gave me. Our perfection is so skewed. Because even if I got a hundred on the test, maybe I didn't spell something right. Maybe, maybe the paper was, you can't comprehend perfect. And yet, we often think our perfection is what makes us significant or close enough to it. But our identity is found in the perfection of Christ. And this is the first main point I want you to get if you're taking notes. Our identity in Christ is secure and unchangeable. Our identity in Christ is secure and unchangeable. Let me explain a little bit of that. That doesn't mean that we don't change. And we'll, we'll talk about that more in just a second here. But the world says that you change your identity to what makes you feel happy and significant. 
The Bible says that your identity as a Christian does not change because he doesn't change. But because he doesn't change, you change into his conformity. Do you get that? It's really important. He doesn't change. So we change to be more like him. But the world says your identity can shift and change. Boy, if you don't like that crowd, then go do your hair differently. And if you don't like that crowd, then go listen to that music differently. And if you don't like those people, then get away from them. And if you don't like that marriage, then get out. And if you don't like that job, just quit. Because it really doesn't matter all those things. It matters what you feel like and whether or not you feel significant. So do whatever you got to do to feel that way. It's not based upon truth. It's based upon feeling. And the Bible says, my identity is in Christ. He never changes. Therefore, I change and do things here to be more like him. So, in the light of that, what does helping a person understand their identity mean in the biblical counseling sense? And hear me clearly, I'm advocating for this. This is the way I believe Scripture makes it abundantly clear that it should be done. This is how we should help one another. So our identity is found in the person and work of Christ and what He's done. And that's hugely important. Because you will see here in a minute the wrong way of doing it. But if... The right way of living, the evidence of living according to our identity in Christ is the living out in faith and in obedience the truth of his word. Christ says, sanctify them in the truth and the truth shall make them free. So helping one another with their identity is helping them live in the light of that. You see that? So our identity is Christ. So helping a person is saying, that's what you're to be identified with. So look in his word, look at the truth, and conform yourself to his image. So, if someone comes to us struggling with sin, and they're hesitant to let it go, we remind them that because they are in Christ, they are to put off the old nature and to mimic him. They are to hate the sin in every evil way and take the necessary steps to conform their life to the truth and repent of that sin rather than enjoying it. Or, if someone comes to us struggling, but they're not really sure why, we help them examine their lives in the light of Christ to see if their identity is because of sin or if they have neglected to see the atoning work that is complete for them. And in essence, that's sin because they doubt His atoning work. So we help them see that, right? That's helping them see rightly their identity is saying, it's all of Christ. He's your example and He's your fulfillment. We're helping them look to Him to be the example. We're helping to look for them, to Him for grace. We're helping them look to Him for forgiveness. We're helping them look to them look to Him for significance. Last week we uh, talked about identity competitors, and we listed a bunch of things that the world states is to be our identity, our job, and our family, and our hobbies, and all of these different things circumstances and stuff that the world competes with the truth of scriptures say this is more important and there's this pulling between what the world says is is your identity which is all this stuff and the truth of scripture which says it's christ and so the best way we can help or give another person when they're struggling with that pulling 
is to help them under, understand that their identity is secure and unchangeable in Christ. It doesn't have to shift. That stuff isn't near as important as He is. So be conformed to Him. But now the contrast, and this is how we as Christians can use the idea of identity wrongly. So I'm switching here. The world says our identity is in us, not Christ, and that it's changeable as needed. Now, that's different than us changing our actions. We're getting into terminology here. It's different than us changing what we're thinking, we're acting to be conformed to our identity. What we're saying is, I don't want to change, so I'm going to change my identity to fit better with what I want. If I don't like the restrictions of my parents over here, fine. I'll go over here and get a bunch of kids or a bunch of people that want to be rebels against anything that's true. Because I'm rebellious at heart. So instead of conforming myself to what I should be, I'll just go find and change my identity to conform to my, conform to my, my sinful heart. So what they're saying is, you change your identity to make you happy irregardless of dealing with sin. The world says you are so significant, do whatever and be whatever and identify with whatever to be happy. And if you sin along the way, that's okay. And that's a lie. That's not true. It's not okay. So I'm explaining the wrong way to think about identity. All of these identity competitors, the job, the family, the stuff, all the world, all that the world says makes up our identity is at its core about how one feels. And that's important to understand. Feelings are a big deal to the world, more than truth. The modern psychologists, or some of them, Freud and Maslow and Erickson and many, many others, they're seeking to know what factors make a person happy or sad. And there's a lot more to it than that. But in its simplicity, it's about how you feel. So if the marriage doesn't make you feel good, just change it. If the job doesn't make you feel good, then just change it. If you want a candy bar, then just take it. Because feelings are more important than truth, according to the world. The world says that our identity is in us and changeable as needed to get the right feelings. And that's a lie, and it's a very bold one. And it's so bold and so pervasive that it permeates even the church and how we think about things. We know that's a lie. We know that we do what we do based off of truth and not our feelings. We know that if we based it off feelings, none of us would be out of bed in the morning. We didn't feel like getting up early in the morning or late in the morning. But feelings, being important, is everywhere and it creeps into our thinking. So many Christians today base the state or current quality of the relationship with Christ based on how they feel that day. Therefore, if they feel bad, then the relationship with Christ is bad. Or if they feel good, then the relationship with Christ is good. See, it's not based upon what Christ has done. It's based on how I feel. 
This is using identity wrongly. So someone comes to us feeling badly. They're discouraged or they're disheartened or they're not happy or they're not joyful or maybe they feel unworthy or insignificant or maybe they're feeling unloved. Those are all feelings. And if we aren't really, really careful, we begin trying to help them with their feelings rather than with truth. And it may sound something like this. Don't you know that you're an adopted son of the Almighty God? What a gift. What a privileged and special person you are. Remember what he has done for you. Are all of those things true? Yes, they are. Every one of them. But notice, we're putting feelings ahead of truth. Feelings are simply the symptoms, not the end goal. We're putting feelings ahead of sin. And maybe it's the sin of doubt in believing, as I said earlier, that God's love could ever cover all your sin, and so they are discouraged. But just telling them, and rather than helping them see that sin is swallowed in the cross of Christ, then when they see that and the Lord opens their eyes, then the feeling is one of love for the Father. But that feeling of being unloved isn't going to go away just by them saying, so I'm a Christian. That's supposed to make me feel better? Maybe it's the sin of adultery and the guilt of that sin. And they want that guilt to go away. And instead of saying, instead of telling them, repent and trust the riches of Christ's work for you, we say, just be happy in Jesus. We are pointing them to their identity when we do that, not for the purpose of change, which is repentance and turning from sin and imitating Christ, but for the purpose of getting a better feeling. That's the wrong way to use identity. You use identity to change, to be conformed to it, not to get a better feeling. Helping another with their identity is not so that they will feel good about themselves or love themselves. We love ourselves so much that Christ says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because he says, that's the best picture you've got of what it's going to feel like if you do this rightly. You're so wrong in how much you love yourselves. That's how strong it should be for your neighbor. We love ourselves plenty. It's not the problem of feeling better about ourselves. It's the problem that we aren't loving God that is the issue. Does a better feeling come when you obey Christ? The answer is yes, it does. Now physically things may not change. You may be persecuted for your faith by obeying Christ. But people want peace. How do you get peace? Well, Philippians 4, 4 through 8 says, be anxious for nothing, And everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God. And as we accomplish the will of God, as you get further into that passage, and the peace of God will surpass, will surpass your heart and mind, will help you to, will will overcome you. You want peace? You want peace of, you want a peaceful feeling inside your soul? Obey God. So feelings aren't the problem. Our heart wanting right feelings before being right before God is the problem. And that puts me and my feelings at the center of what is important rather than truth and who Christ and what Christ has done. So this is identity, using identity for the wrong reasons, namely to make us feel better regardless of sin and conformity to Christ. It makes man most high, not God. 
And we begin to go to God to make us feel better rather than make us more like him. And that pulls his glory down to us and makes us bigger and him smaller, which is why John says, he must increase that I must decrease. Okay? So I'm saying that rightly using identity is to point one another to what the work and worth of Christ is for the purpose of being more like him, being conformed to his image, living as he lived, resting in him as he, Christ, rested in the Father. Do you get that? That's, that's what I'm pointing as the right way. And what I'm saying is the wrong way is to remember what Christ has done irregardless of changed and based upon me feeling better. Well, then next response should be, but what about all of the verses that say, remember what God has done for you? Isn't that remembering your identity? Won't that help me feel better? Is that wrong to do? And here's the truth of that. Will remembering who you are in Christ combat sin? No. You combat sin with truth. Right actions defeat wrong actions. Wrong actions aren't defeated by remembering a position. Wrong actions are defeated by acting according to the new nature in Christ. The best analogy I can think of is that reminding another person, which is necessary, of our, of our identity in Christ is the springboard to define how we should think and act in the light of being saved by Christ in order that we might gain Him glory. So the remembering of who we are in Christ is simply the diving board. But we're not called to just bounce and bounce and bounce on the diving board. The diving board's entire purpose is to launch you into the pool. So we don't just get stuck at the remembering who I am in Christ. We get stuck on it long enough to get enough spring to launch us into the pool and into all that is Christ for us and all the strength and grace that is found in Christ to change. To change where they are to where they should be. That's what that, that's what that remembering does is it loads up the spring of our hearts and then goes, you're not supposed to be here anymore. You're supposed to be like Christ. Woof. And springs us out to where we should be. So we don't remind another person or ourselves of our identity, believing that by simply remembering who we are in Christ will stop sin or absolve guilt over sin. Remembering is for the purpose of changing. Remembering is for the purpose of changing. The Bible calls us to remember. The Bible calls us to be re- to remember to be conformed calls us to remember in order to think differently, to act differently. And we can forget, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to do this. And so what do we do? We remember, He saved me and He's given me life. And this isn't my new nature is to do whatever I want. The new nature is to be like Him. So I go do that by His grace and by His power. The remembering is the impetus for change. The remembering drives a deep and humble passion for change out of love for the work and worth of Christ upon our behalf. Remembering who you are in Christ is the faith. Changing by His grace is the work. And the Bible tells us faith without works is dead. You've got to have both of them. Now, I, I used a quote last week from Martha Peace, and I want to 
explain it more fully. She wrote in her little book, Psychologized Man. Instead of instructing people, this is her quote, people to repent and assume responsibility for their actions, believing that God will give them His grace to help them, this distorted view says to just realize who you are in Christ and you will realize your worth and stop struggling with fear, frustration, depression, etc. Let's break that down. When she says this distorted view, what she is meaning is calling people to remember their identity for the purpose of helping them feel better, not for the purpose of being changed by His grace. And what she's saying is what we should be doing rightly with identity is telling people, you have access now by Christ to the throne of grace. Repent. And assume responsibility for your actions. It wasn't their fault. It was your fault. Your heart drove that sin. Repent of that. Believe in His grace. And by His grace, be conformed to His image. That's helping people with identity. What's not people helping people with their identity is just saying, realize you're in Christ and you're worth something. But there's no change. That isn't helping people. Because when people come to you with, Bad feelings, what they want is for those bad feelings to go away. And as Christians who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, we then go to them with the heart's delight of saying, I've got all the answers for you, and none of them are mine, and they're all in this book. And if you will conform yourself to this book, those feelings will change. As compared to, which is oftentimes the mark of somebody who really wants help. I want you to help me with my feelings. Okay, this is what you do. Here's this book. This is how you believe in His grace more sufficiently. This is how you access His throne more fully. And they say, Nah, it's a little hard. It's a little too much work. i, I got to fight a little more than I want to. I actually have to give up the sin. I'm not quite sure I want to. They don't say it in those words. But over a period of time, it just kind of, they're just weak about it and just kind of sort of peters off. Whereas the person who really wants help and we can help them to see how it can take place is for them to go, this has got all the answers. This is the book. I do this and not only do I get a heart change for His glory and my delight and my feelings change too. What a blessing. What an immense grace. So, in closing, our identity as Christians is secure and unchangeable in Christ, and therefore helping each other remember who we are in Christ requires that the heart motivation be to help one another conform more to Him, whether that is in thought, word, or deed. We wrongly help each other with our identity when we use His work of grace to help us feel better without obeying His word and using that grace to be conformed more to Him. We don't need to worry about helping people feel better. And that's a huge thing today. Everybody wants to do that. But we don't need to worry about helping people feel better. If we help people see Christ as more lovely, as more worthy, if we help them see how Christ's dying has given them grace upon grace upon grace upon grace to fight sin, if we help them to see how the life of Christ gives them an example of how to act and talk and think, the feelings will come as we conform and help them to conform to the truth. Because as Christians, we should know action 
according to this book is worship. If it's done rightly according to this book, it's worship. And when you are worshiping something right, just like Hannah with Samuel, you have no you have no recourse but to praise and thank Him and rejoice in Him and be in awe of Him and walk with joy unspeakable and full of glory even amidst the tears and the pain and the difficulty of life. Truth doesn't change to fit our feelings because truth doesn't change. Truth is based and rooted in God and we are given truth in His Word as the main tool for sanctification. So, wrapping it, in the sense of identity for biblical counseling, help each other conform to your identity as a Christian, which is helping them to conform to the life of Christ. And you do that by helping them see the worth and work of what he did for you on the cross and the access and the power and the grace that you now have because of him. If you will do that, you are helping a person understand their identity rightly. Don't let yourself or someone just try to remember who they are in Christ without changing. It's not loving to do that. It won't help them. It will actually drive them insane. Because they need desperately to be changed. And it's that contrast of being called by the Holy Spirit to be changed, but they're not wanting to give up sin. That makes people go crazy. So in love, help them to see Christ is worthy. Be conformed to Him, and He alone can set you free. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word this morning. That is true, and I pray that You would Sanctify us with your truth this morning, your word. Help us to think rightly about one another. Help us to love one another more deeply. Father, you loved us when we had no feeling for you. In fact, the any feeling that we might have had was hate and animosity. And yet you did the loving thing, which was reconciling your holiness and your justice and your righteousness with your love and your mercy and your goodness and your kindness by sending your son to die for us. So help us, Father, as we would interact and encourage and strengthen one another in the word to do the loving thing and point them to truth. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that you've not left us to come up with truth based upon whatever somebody else says or whatever somebody else feels or wants at that time. But rather, you've given us the standard, the living word, the word that is the same word that spoke into existence this world and set us free from sin and brought us to Christ. That same word is the book that we hold each day in our hands. And may we approach it as such. As that word that is all powerful. And by that word we can change. We thank you Lord for this morning. And we pray that as we would fellowship now. And prepare our hearts for worship in the main service. And the taking of communion. You might overflow us Father with an immense a better, a greater understanding
of, of your worth and your worth and your love for us. That is beyond anything we can possibly comprehend. In Jesus' name.